and enlightened when we allow the truth and the power of the word of the Lord to affect us in a spiritual way. All right, continuing our uh, message tonight on the series on the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, tonight I'm going to look at Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. And I have entitled the message, Kingdom People and Treasures. So let me, uh, let me read starting at verse 19, Matthew 6, 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and dust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy, thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now Jesus addresses a very practical subject. He addresses an area that, in all honesty, we find it difficult to let go of and let God have his way. And one of the common errors of Judaism and, and Phariseeism was is that they put undue emphasis on material wealth. And as I have observed, the children of Menno were not free of it either. It's something that has kind of been a besetting problem. And I think all of us uh, have experienced it. And verse 21 uh, indicates to us that this is a hard issue. For, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, so it's a hard issue. It's a hard issue that we do need to talk about. We do need to think about. We do need to be challenged. Uh, the attitude, our attitude towards material things is important. And it's easy for those who are less well-off to zero in on those that are better off and say they've got the problem. But wealth itself is neutral. Money is neutral. Jesus was zeroing in on our attitudes we have towards material things. As a matter of fact, Christ did not change, chase the money changers out of the temple because they handled money, because the Old Testament provided for the fact that if the poor had no offering to bring, that they could take some small change and purchase an inexpensive pigeon and give it as an offering. And so exchange of money at the temple was nothing new. The reason he was chased, chased them out is because they had the wrong attitude about that, what they were doing. Uh, they, were, they, were, they had developed a marketing mentality. They, they had a desire to, uh, to, uh, to be successful in a, in a dishonest way and taking advantage of a situation. And so he says, you have made it a den of thieves. They were dishonest. They had the wrong attitude. And we need to recognize the fact that earthly 
things, earthly treasures do tend to affect our attitude. They have a way of attaching themselves to us, whether we like to admit it or not. Uh, they trouble us while we seek them. Uh, they don't satisfy us after we have it. And uh, they make us despair if we lose it. And so it's something that's real to us. We face it. Uh, one early American statesman said this, Give me liberty or give me death. But modern Mennonites, yeah, I didn't mean to say Mennonites, modern Americans have condensed it to say, give me. And that's where it ends. Give me, give me, give me. Uh, develop this entitlement attitude in our society. And, and that, that entitlement attitude really is a materialistic attitude. Uh, so we need to be careful about that. Well, let's look at our text a little closer. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now this is a negative command. Lay not up treasures upon earth. It warns us about earthly investments and the danger of earthly investments. We have here in this portion of Scripture five reasons why investments, why material investments are not good investments in verses 19 through 24. Uh, number one, the first reason is that they are subject to deterioration and to de-evaluation in verse 19a. They are subject to be taken from us, verse 19b. Uh, just to give you an illustration, the company I worked for uh, started a, what was called a, a, a 401k program. Uh, taken off your paycheck. And I thought, well, this is a great way to save for the future. Well, in 2008, there was an economic downturn, and all of a sudden, I looked at the statement I got, and there's just a lot of money disappeared that I had saved over the years. And, you know, I had to, I had to check on my spirit. Uh, it, 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 it's subject to be taken from us. And when it's taken from us, it, it affects us in negative ways. And, and I had to deal with my attitude. I had to bring it before the Lord. Uh, another reason that material investments are not good investments. Number three, they have a tendency to master and control our life. And that's in verse 21. And fourth, they have the power to bind us in darkness and in evil. Verse 23. And number five, they can cause us to have divided loyalties and to become hypocrites in verse 24. So this command is very clear. Lay not up. Simply means do not heap up, do not hoard. And so as we think about this then, it's only natural that the question comes up, well, is it, is it biblical to save for a rainy day? Now, I do not believe that this means that we don't have a responsibility to, to plan for the future and to reserve some for the future. I believe that's wise, especially when people get older and they uh, get into medical bills the way they are today. They didn't anticipate when they were younger. And so I, I do think there's a place of good stewardship and it's wisdom to plan for the future. Uh, but the problem is, how do we interpret what some is? 
where, you know, the word sum is a relative term, and how, how do we determine uh, at, at, what, at what point are we being good stewards and at what point are, are we becoming covetous? And, and that's, a, that's a difficult area to define. It, it's, it's easy for us to define it for someone else, but we have the greater difficulty with ourselves in determining where is that line. And it's a fine line. It's a difficult line to draw. And so we need to be careful. We need to be very careful. Uh, John 6, verse 27, Jesus says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath the Father sealed. So providing materially can become an all-consuming passion. Why? Because some things are transient and they perish, and some things are eternal. And so we need to guard against that. We need to be alert. And so that, that brings us up to some hard decisions in life sometimes that, that we need to evaluate because there are some things that are eternal and some things are, are, uh, are passing. Uh, and, and the paradox of it all is that the transient is the things that we see, but the eternal are the things we do not see. And so that complicates our decision-making even, even more. And that's why we need to approach this subject with an open, honest heart and with prayer, seeking the Lord's will for our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says, While we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Also, Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. These people, people of faith, had a spiritual vision, and they embraced those things that they could not see. It's, it's a, it's a, it was a gesture of faith. And so as we go through life and, and we face these practical things about material things, we need to exercise our faith. We need to make choices sometimes that become difficult. And not just that, choices that others won't always understand. The latter part of verse says, uh, tells us why we should not lay up treasures in heaven. It says, because moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. The earth is a very poor warehouse uh, to store our material things because it is subject to decay. It is subject to being taken from us. It's subject to robbery. And so if, if our treasures, if our treasures are solely material things, we've made a poor investment. And so we, we make choices based on, on, on a, an eternal Perspective In Luke chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, but God, this is uh, the story of the rich fool, but God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We're fools if we make transient investments at the expense of that which is eternal. And so we have this constant 
everyday decision and choice that's before us as we think about the material things of life. It's a very real part of life, but it's an area of life that involves our heart. And our choices reveal where our heart's at. Being materialistic has corrupting effects upon our lives. Number one, it can corrupt the spiritual values of our family. In Proverbs 15, verse 27, we find these words, He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. And there's been many a father who has made material success his life's ambition at the expense of his family. And so it can corrupt spiritual values. Our attitude towards earthly things is crucial to the spiritual well-being of our family. And so fathers have a tremendous responsibility to search their heart as to where they're at when it comes to these matters. There's nothing wrong to seek to, to be concerned about the security of your family. That is right, that is good, that is noble. But the question is, where is it that we're seeking their security? Is the security we're seeking in the material things, or is the security we're seeking in spiritual things? And the difference of that choice is, is a tremendous difference. It's a tremendous difference. The second thing that we see that... Uh, that pursuing material things can do is it can corrupt our faith. It can corrupt our faith and our trust. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's not the money itself. It's the love for it. It's our desire for it. That's the problem which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so we see clearly that these things have the potential of corrupting our faith. In James chapter 2, verse 5, Hearken or listen here, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor in this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Is it not true? that those with the least earthly securities seem to have the richest faith. And all we have to do is look at some of our third world Christians. There's been third world Christians that have come to our nation and they have observed how Christians live and they've concluded that they couldn't be a Christian here because of that. Something to think about, isn't it? Material things tend to corrupt our faith. Material things also tend to corrupt our concept of brotherhood. And I appreciated what our brother had to say about being brothers tonight. 1 John three seventeen. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have... Oh, I'm in the wrong verse. 1 John three seventeen. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? You know, the more materialistic we become, the more, or, or, the, or the, the more likely we are to feel obligated to help our brother. 
We develop these ideas. I have made it, so let him do what I did. And, and we develop these judgmental attitudes and say, if he wouldn't be doing this and this and this, it would be different for him. Well, there may be an element of truth to that. But it does not relieve us of our personal responsibility of our brother's need. Now, we may need to get alongside of him to help him and to disciple him if he's having difficulty. But it doesn't eliminate our need for him to help him in his difficulty. Going back to our text, verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We saw a verse in verse 19, a negative command and now we see a positive command. It's very clear here that we need to make heavenly investments. How do we make those heavenly investments? Well, the only way that we can lay up treasures in heaven is for treasures on earth to be laid down. Let me repeat that. The only way we can lay up treasures in heaven is for treasures on earth to be laid down. And so we need to hold these things rather loosely. We are stewards of God, and God does expect us to take good care of them. But we, we need to make sure that, that our fingers don't grow around them and, and we can't let go. We hold them rather loosely. And that's a challenge that we have. Remember where we started out at. In the Sermon of the Mount, verse three, Matthew 5, verse 3, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here we see very clearly, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, for they shall inherit the earth. We see very clearly the things that the Christian is striving for are things that are not seen. They're not things that we can wrap our fingers around and keep for ourselves. How much better to invest in things that cannot be taken where thieves can break through and steal? Our heavenly investments are not subject to the chance and change of time. There are spiritual investments that we make in, in unthing scenes in our families and our spiritual lives that, that a thief cannot take. Our personal faith in Christ, our love for Christ, that's something that cannot be taken from you. You don't keep that in a storehouse. You keep that in your heart. In Proverbs 23, verse 5. Proverbs 23, verse 5. Wilt thou not set thine eyes upon that which wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make them selves wings. They fly away as an eagle towards heaven. We need to remember that. Proverbs 27 verse 4, it says, riches are not forever. So these material things are transitory. They can be here today and gone tomorrow. Whether that's houses, businesses, gold, farms, land, they're all subject to loss. The story of said of a successful businessman in our community a number of years back. His, uh, his building caught fire, and he wasn't there when it happened. And, and when he came there, it was totally engulfed. It was impossible to save. And a newsman got a hold of him, and he said, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
And that, that man's business eventually recovered to even beyond what he had today. And so we need to hold these things rather loosely. They're not ours. They're not ours. In, uh, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Bring your tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me not herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room to receive it. The Lord wants to bless our lives when we have the proper attitude about the material things that he's given to us and we hold them loosely. We're ready to release them when God calls for them. In verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he shall not destroy the fruits of your field, of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit for the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And so, and so God can bless us in ways that we're, we, we don't always identify why we have the blessing. If our priorities are right, God is going to bless our lives in many incidental ways. In Luke chapter 12, verse 33, Luke 12, 33, sell that you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which, not, which wax not old and treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. It's referring here to bags, a place where deposits are made. Now, I know in our modern world, we don't do that anymore, but, but there, there was an era of time when, when people kept their savings, their, the things that they accumulate in bags or in milk cans or, or even buried in a flower garden, like uh, an older sister from our congregation. Uh, after she passed away, the family had to go digging around in the flower garden, and they found all kinds of boxes of cash. Uh, uh, and a lot of people didn't know that it was there, uh, but she held it loosely. It was only there if she needed it. And fortunately, there was family members knew about it, so they got their shovels out. But she held on loosely. I wouldn't recommend that, but that's what she did. We need to be ready to let it go if, if, uh, if need be. Uh, we need to make deposits that cannot deteriorate. And it's not only, and it's not only the deposits we make is not only the giving of money, it's the giving of time. And you know, we North American Mennonites have been so blessed by God that it has become just awful easy to reach into our fat wallets and dump a chunk, a change in the offering basket and let somebody else do the work. Doesn't that happen? It does. And so I'm not saying it's wrong to give, but some of the investments we make is our time, giving of our time. And incidentally, the investment of this time is not only for young people. I mean, I would agree that voluntary service is an excellent thing for young people to do, but I think it's even nobler for older folks to do that. There was a brother in our congregation, uh, he's almost 80 now, and when he told me that when his youngest son gets married, he's going to sell his farm, and he's going to go into VS service. And so I was going to sit back and watch. I had the privilege of preaching a wedding sermon in Ohio, and uh, so I was watching very closely. All of a sudden, we heard the news that Brother Elmer's farm is up for sale. 
And the next thing I knew, he was going off in a voluntary service, and he did that for 10 years before he came back, served three different places. And so those of you who are in your 50s on on up, it's not only young people that need to have voluntary service. Voluntary service is great for all ages. There's VS workers needed, there's missionaries needed, there's teachers needed. Uh, and when we invest in our own pleasures, in our own indulgences, we allow the thief to rob us of eternal investments. Verse 21, so he that layeth up treasure in heaven and is not rich toward God. Where one's treasure is, is where he's going to spend his energies. Where his heart is, is where he or she is going to spend their energies. Where, 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 one's, where one makes his deposits, that's where his life's ambition is going to be zeroed in on. As a matter of fact, that's where his faith is going to be absorbed in his investments. Where our treasure is determines where our heart is. And so, where is our heart tonight? Where are we tonight? Matthew 27, verses 37 and 38. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And I believe this commandment has a way of helping us to keep a balance in life's investments. If our ambitions violate the law of love, we've stepped across the line of spirituality into idolatry because our focus is on the wrong thing. We need to be concerned for those who do not have time for Christ and the church. That needs to be a burden to us. I know it's always a burden to pastors. It seems pastors never get past the point of having a burden of some kind, and that's healthy, that's good. But I think all of us need to have more of a burden for each other and where our investments, our energy is being spent. Every generation urgency need, urgently needs to evaluate their heart priorities. Financial professionals are predicting that there's going to be turmoil in the world in the not-too-distant future because of the changing economy. And so I believe that in itself alerts us to the importance of having our heart zeroed in and making investments that are eternal instead of material. If our treasure's in the, in, in the material things, our heart is going to be in for great jeopardy. It's going to be in for a great disappointment, great sorrow. Notice a latter part of, or notice verse 22, and he saith unto his, no, wrong, wrong chapter, Matthew 6, 22. The light of the body is the eye. He's talking here about the eye. We could call it our goals and our ambitions. It's that which we focus upon. Our aims, our ambitions are determined by what we focus on. And what we focus on in turn affects our spiritual lives. It really does. And so the spiritual condition of our eye is important. It's very important. There is a thing called astigmatism, if I have the pronouncing that correctly. It's a defect in the eye that causes blurred vision. And this, this causes a distorted understanding of what you're observing and what you're seeing. But I believe 
that there is something called spiritual astigmatism, where there is a defect in our spiritual eye and it causes us to evaluate things that really shouldn't be evaluated the way they are. We need to be careful about that. There's also a thing called a mirage. You know, people who've been on deserts have seen mirages, and you've read, you've read uh, stories probably of, of people who were lost in the desert and they were dying of hunger and thirst, and off in the distance they saw this, this lake, this glimmering lake, and they, they used their last energies to move in that direction to get a drink of water, only to find an arid, more arid desert. And you know, that's what happens when our eye begins to have a blurred vision. We, we, get, these, we get these ambitions about, about having our, satis- our needs satisfied, and we put all of our energy into it. But it saps us of our spiritual power. And if we're not careful, we'll die. We need to be careful about that. Latter part of verse 22 If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. We notice the word singular. We need to have a singular focus on life. When we have a singular focus on life, it prevents befuddlement. It prevents confusion. A single eye sees things clearly. Uh, Only singleness of purpose in life keeps our inner being lighted with God's presence as we have a singular ambition to do the will of God for our lives, I believe our lives become enlightened. Verse 23, But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. The word evil carries with it the idea of an eye that is out of disorder. And you know, an eye that is out of disorder is worse than being blind. You see, a blind man will feel the difference between the ditch and the road. It might take him an awful long time to make that discernment, but nevertheless, he will make that discernment. But an eye that is out of order, both the ditch and the road appear the same. And so we need to have a single eye, a clear eye, an eye that is clearly focused on one goal in life. And if one has distorted vision about material things, it's only going to be a matter of time until we're entirely in a spiritual ditch. And so we need to have our spiritual eye examined. Latter part of verse 23, and therefore... If the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? How great or how intense? Uncontrollable materialistic ambitions lead us to total spiritual blindness and darkness. Verse 24, no man can serve two masters. Now, a master is someone who requires supreme authority. It's difficult to serve when there's two masters in our lives. It's impossible to satisfy two masters that require supreme response and obedience. Because sooner or later, 
their demands are going to conflict. And that's exactly what happens when we sell our soul to the company store merely for materialistic ambitions. Because sooner or later, God calls, and our materialistic God also calls, and it creates conflict. And so we need to make sure. We need to make sure that we're only serving one master. If there's more than one master, there's going to be conflict. And it is impossible for anyone to have divided loyalties and still be faithful to both masters. 1 John 2.15, it says, Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. Now, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so we, we see it clearly in that principle that it is, that is, we can't have divided loyalties when it comes to things of Christ or the things of the world. We also notice in the latter part of verse 24, it says, Ye cannot serve God and mammon. The word mammon here simply means wealth. To serve here means to become a slave to. You cannot become a slave to wealth. Jesus didn't condemn wealth. We need to understand that he didn't condemn wealth, but he does condemn enslavement to it. And we see that in other places in the scripture. When we begin to serve mammon and it controls us, we become ineffective servants in the kingdom. We cannot be effective because we have divided loyalties. It says here, rather, rather emphatically, ye cannot, ye cannot. And, and really, I, maybe my English is rather limited, but I really don't know how to, to explain ye cannot except to say ye cannot. I mean, what does it take for us to, it doesn't take a rocket scientist for us to understand that, does it? Why, little children understand that when you say, you cannot. Well, that's what Jesus is saying to us. You cannot serve God and mammon. The person who is sold out to the devil is happier than the person who tries to serve both God and the devil. I used to work with a gentleman by the name of Grant years back. He was not a professing Christian. He very openly said that his number one ambition in life is to become financially successful. That was all that mattered to him. And you know, as a young Christian, to hear a man say that was startling. However, I observed something about that man. I don't I lost track of him after he was older, but he was happy. He was happy. Why? He had the wrong vision, but he had a clear focus. He was not trying to serve two masters. That's why I say that when we try to serve two masters, brothers and sisters, we're going to become confused and it's going to affect our spiritual lives. It's going to affect our happiness. And so the choice is simple for us. It's either God or gold. Which is it? Which do you want? What do you want to do? And Jesus says in Matthew 12, 30, He that is not with me is against me. We cannot be a slave to earthly treasures without becoming a traitor to God. 
James 4.4 affirms that. Where is our heart? Where is our heart? Where are our desires? Where are our ambitions? Are we wanting to accumulate things that we can see, feel, and touch? Or is our life's ambition to reach those spiritual planes of things we cannot see, feel, and touch? And that's going to require faith. It's going to require faith in Jesus Christ. In conclusion, I'd like to share an illustration. This was in the city of Pompeii, Italy, many centuries ago. Pompeii was the largest, was the wealthiest city of the entire Roman Empire. People lived in luxury in its sunny climate. It was a resort for the rich. There were outdoor theaters, large public baths. Uh, today we'd call them swimming pools. Uh, they prospered from their trade, uh, wine, oil, perfume. People were wealthy landowners. They were successful merchants with their own slaves. But nearby stood a mountain called Mount Vesuvius, an active volcano. This volcano started spewing. And for 16 years, the people were warned to leave that community because someday there was going to be a major eruption. However, the time came when this eruption took place. In 79 AD, Vesuvius erupted. Tons and tons of boiling mud and hot lava slowly crept into the city and 20,000 people were alive. Notice I said it slowly crept into the city. They had 16 years of warning. And even as it came into the city, they would have had time to run. Many could have escaped, but they delayed their escape so that they could secure their treasures. In later excavation, a body was found of a petrified woman. She was found in a fetal position with her hands clutched to her bosom. And between her hands and her heart were clutched pearls, bracelets, earrings, and many priceless jewels. Is that not indeed a sad picture of those whose master demands that they serve and search for earthly treasures? You see, it can master our lives. It can master our lives to the point we have no common sense anymore when warnings come. Where are your treasures invested? Are you in such a situation that if God has blessed you with material things, that in your heart you can let them go? You can let them behind if you need to. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Remember the words of Abraham to the rich man. Son, remember that in thy lifetime thou receivest thy good things. In thy lifetime. And we tend to think that that is the essence of life. But it's not. Eternity is much vaster. And so we need to have our hearts tuned in to the things that involve faith, the things we cannot see, feel, and touch. 
Is your life focused on the transient or is it on the eternal? I trust that we're going to be honest with ourselves and we're going to search our hearts and we're going to be honest with ourselves. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus.